Hello and welcome to another episode of Northwest Supply, uh, the podcast about tech and business in the Northwest. Uh, my name is John Cleary and with me we have my co-host Zach Giorgio. Say hi, Zach. Hi, guys. Good to get you back in. I was going to say back in the studio, but we're just back in our, our rooms at home, aren't we, as per. Um, and we've got, some, uh, we've, got some two, we've got two guests in today, which I'm really excited about. Uh, we've got Jerry Monica, who's a technical lead, and James Wade, head of engineering at Street Group. So um, I'm going to start off with you, Jerry, if you don't mind. Do you want to just tell us, well, first of all, tell us a bit about Street Group. So Street Group kind of, we've got uh, two uh, applications. One is CRM, which is like at the street side. And then another one is uh, an instruction generating application, where it's more or less a, a direct mail that uh, estate agents use to get instructions from, uh, from vendors and landlords. Cool, brilliant. And so you focus on a specific sector of the market, right, which is the sort of uh, property sector, right? Is that like estate agents and all of that? Yeah. Yes, 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 it is. Brilliant. And so, Jerry, how long have you been at Street Group? What's your... So three and a half years, almost four years. I think four Uh years in March. Wow, that's like in tech terms, that's like that's like dog years, isn't it? That's like <laughs> no, no, four years. That's a it's a normal tenure for a senior person. I'm absolutely sure. No, great, um, fantastic. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, James, you want to just come in there and tell us a little bit about you and and sort of your role in the business? Yeah, sure. So I I joined after Jerry. I've, I've been with the company for about three years, or it will be in in March. And yeah, when I joined, there wasn't many of us really. There was uh, only about three of us, I think, on on the Spectre team. So I was sort of brought in to to help to to grow that team. And at the time, I remember Jerry was working on uh, our lettings uh, aspect of the the product and tearing his hair out trying to get that um, in built in for a, a client, uh, so we could get them on board. So. It was quite an exciting time to join, um, and then we've just grown the team from there, really. And then I've, I, I've sort of, as the business has grown and we've built this CRM, I've got more involved across the whole business, so not just just Spectre, but also the Street CRM, and uh, our data team as well. So yeah, it's been quite a wild ride, I'd say. That's, and that's some pretty massive growth, right? I mean, you said it was just a handful of you when you joined three years ago. How many are there now? Uh, there's at least 30 developers and then we've got another you know um, designers UX um, product people as well now so when I when I joined there was no product people at all we had to sort of create that role and and bring people in um, and as as well as sort of coax some people from the business to take a bit of responsibility on that side as well so uh, yeah it's definitely uh, definitely been an interesting journey for us. It's, it's fascinating how quickly you've grown, obviously, from three people to 30 people in three years. It shows you how quickly the tech businesses are growing. What I found really interesting when I was reading up on you guys was transforming the property industry. Can you tell us a bit more what transforming the property industry means? I don't know whether Jerry wants to take this one. I <laughs> <laughs> don't know. Up to you. I think it's it's... Probably, especially, I think a product like the CRM, the street CRM, how it has revolutionized kind of how the estate agency kind of use and interact with the, the vendors, interact with rental markets. Uh, it's the, the completely kind of thing they tr- try to use more of UX and UI in order to make it just easier. And not only just from concentrating only on like computers and traditional CRM, they kind of... Uh, revolutionize that aspect of moving towards mobile applications, iPads, and creating very kind of sleek 
property reports and uh, and cards as well. So I think they have really moved the industry forward. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So I, I guess my every time I hear CRM, you know, I think Salesforce. I think a lot of people do, and you know, you obviously they're. I wouldn't say they're a competitor, but they're. they're I'm sure they're in your mind when you're when you're building like that's an alternative what i suppose drove this the decision to build this business um and you know not start with that as a base to build your own proprietary crm solution what does it you know how does it offer something unique to the customer i think what's quite interesting about the crm side of things is um really at the moment for estate agents there is not a lot of choice Uh, most of the crms are owned by your large companies, the, the Zoopla Group, for example, own a, a bunch of CRMs. And a lot of them are quite dated in their, in both technology and um, user experience. Um, I think there's some reports of it looking very Windows 95. So, <laughs> you know, it, technology's moved on so much. So we wanted to really uh, build a, an application that would, uh, in a way that would allow us to really give that sort of modern flexibility. If we started with Salesforce, we would very quickly have to customize it so much that that would then be the restricting factor. So we wanted to build something using a stack that made sense to us, that's modern, that we could move quickly on, that we could uh, really sort of feel invested in as a team build on the great technology that we've already been working with uh, and build a CRM that was truly ours, you know, that that we owned and we could sort of own end to end rather than sort of shoot, try and shoehorn something in like Salesforce, as you mentioned, it, it, it wouldn't do it. Uh, and and we'd, um, we'd very quickly find ourselves sort of backed into a corner, I think. Yeah, and I guess the you, you know I, I suppose my assumption was that the the incumbent was was the likes of Salesforce, but obviously it's not. It's these proprietary systems that already exist that everyone, I guess, who works in property knows who they are. And you mentioned Supergroup, but that, and so you're trying to bring something modern, fresh, useful to the market. Exactly. And um, based on that, I mean, obviously, to, to to have such big growth, did you have to make different decisions when you first came on board on like what text stack to use? You know, were you C sharp and JavaScript or whichever one it was that you decided to sort of work with? Did you have to chat? I mean, I remember talking to John when he was doing PHP, and then it was Ruby on Rails. So, you know, did you have to make those decisions knowing that the the platform was going to change and you had to move in that? Is that something early or because tech moves so quickly, doesn't it nowadays? You know, how do you know you are picking the right one that's going to give you the scalability and so on? Yeah, really good question. Um, I think for us, uh, historically, Street Group or Agent Software, as it previously was, when I joined, we were just a, a PHP house. That's, that, was our, that was our thing. That was our platform. Spectre product and uh, Street CRM are essentially a, uh, a Laravel-based monolith, but there's more to it than that. So, what we the reason why we decided to do that is because we wanted to go down a monolith-first approach, and the reason for that is because we're still learning how that should work. You know, how should it be modelled? What is the business logic? You know, a CRM we've we've never we've used them as a as a company the 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 experts that we've got 
uh, former estate agents have, have used them and our founder has been basically brought up in estate agency so really you know understands the business but we've never built it before as a team we've never built it as a company so we wanted to take this sort of monolith first approach we were familiar with that tech stack um some people might see it as like boring tech and that's fine i think it's it's good for us to use that boring tech so to speak to to uh, our advantage to um, not distract ourselves too much with shiny, shiny, shiny. Uh, instead, you know, look at these things um, as, okay, is that the right tool for the right job? And for us right now, this is the right tool for the right job. And if there's a better tool for certain services, we're not afraid to break those off into, into separate services, use different technologies, um, which we have across the business. You know, we've got a number of uh, different services in Node, say, uh, and Python. And, uh, you know, we, we've tried Go as well um, for one project. So we're not afraid to use the technology, but we use it as a tool to, to, to get to a solution rather than, uh, oh, you know, let's use this shiny thing for the sake of it kind of thing. Monolith first rather than shiny first. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, by the way, hat off. I have heard, you know, uh, n- not on this podcast, thankfully, but so many scenarios where it's, you know, service service oriented architecture first or micro framework first. And it's like, it is so often the, the wrong choice. You know, you're building for a scale that doesn't yet exist. You're not learning about the problems. Um, you don't know where the bottlenecks are. There's so many, you know, monoliths have quite unfairly had a, some bad rep in the past, I think we they've gone through a, you know, they've gone through that period of, of yeah. taking the bad rep when when service oriented architecture and then microframe, you know, um, microservices became the thing, and everyone was, you know, getting micro uh, microservice envy. And I'm glad to see that, you know, you obviously came at the time when we were smart enough and and uh, wise enough, streetwise, uh, <laughs> to spot that and 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 uh, make the right decisions, and then apply technology. To solve problems you know after the fact yeah exactly I, th- I think what i've seen happen and this is where i think maybe there's a bit of uh, intuition there is people end up building a uh, a distributed monolith which you get all of the all of the same problems and none of the solutions so we didn't want to do that we wanted to build a team of experts you know and not have this fragmented system that would be very difficult and slow to maintain we wanted to really get to grips with the domain understand what it is our customer needs and we found as a team it wasn't really my decision i certainly encouraged but as a team we decided that this was the the approach for us i think i mean you know it sounds like it's great that you've sort of got that sort of view and you've got that sort of agility really to sort of move into different areas which is fantastic i want to move away from the tech for a little bit i want to come back to that later on but it sounds like you've got really good backing across there as well to come up with this which is fantastic um and i want to find out a little bit more about why it's such a cool place to work as well but i'm going to jump in with the big elephant in the room and the covid and and what i want to say is and i don't want to say uh, post covid because we're not quite there but what have we seen in different you know you've grown your team by 30 staff in in arguably a very challenging environment at the moment because of we know what's happening the demand is so high but prior to that what differences have you seen in acquiring talent you know how have you done that is it because of this approach that you've had or 
in essence, what have you seen different pre-COVID and sort of, are we in it? Are we out of it? Not too sure about that. Though. Mid-COVID. Mid-COVID. And, Mid- and I've heard it called endemic. Endemic is that word. I think the government have given up on it, but as for the rest of us. <laughs> it's got work to be done. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a challenge for us in many ways. You know, it's before this, we really put a lot of emphasis on being together in the office, uh, that kind of camaraderie of, of being there in the same place in the same room able to just get in front of whiteboards and and you know p- post it so really very physical very you know all in the same room all feeling together and we really encouraged that you know when we were hiring if if people like oh you know i really want to go for remote work and we were we were sort of steering away from that originally because we really wanted to sort of build this culture where people were in the same room and they wanted to be there. They wanted to come into the office. We felt that that was a really good foundation for, for us as a business. And then obviously when the pandemic hit, it was, oh, right, now we need to be remote and we've not done this before. So we very quickly, you know, practically overnight just had to do that. And we did very well um, as a team. I think it was definitely a change, a step change. And we had to respond as a business to, to certain needs and certain changes as a business. We had to react as, as developers um, uh, to support our customers through this difficult time because obviously estate agents, very, very physical, in-person thing. All of a sudden, they weren't going into offices and things were changing. So we had to re- respond to that as well. So yeah, it's it's been a massive change, um, but it, it it's worked re- very very well, considering that we we'd never done this before. And I think the key for us is is to continue that sort of communication. It's not without its challenges, though. One of the great things as well is we we almost doubled or probably tripled the team during COVID. So actually, it, it, the whole company almost tripled during COVID, which is, a, which is the most incredible success story ever, where I think uh, probably beginning of this year, no, summer thing this year, where we had like a team of people who've been here for a year, but we've never met them in real life because they joined during COVID and they've been in a, a year during COVID. And I remember we had a, we had like a, a party to, to let everyone meet in real person because uh, everyone was just met through Zoom. So I remember kind of, because I'm part of the events team, so I also kind of, try to organize all the events in the company. And, and I remember that was really bizarre, like meeting all these people that you, you've seen on screen for, for a year. And here they are in real life. It was, it was quite a, an amazing thing. And also the, another challenging thing during COVID as well, especially kind of being a tech lead and also kind of an event, events team was motivation. Because one minute we were in the office and everyone was really we had like a, a drive, a dynamic way of working, it was really fun. And then COVID hit. And then we had to kind of all go remotely. So how do you kind of empower, not empower, but uh, how, how do you get the best out of the team during COVID? And then that was really tough for us to adjust from coming into the office and kind of uh, having retros, having reviews, having stand-ups on, on, on Zoom. That was quite challenging. And also as an event team as well, trying to make sure that everyone was still together as one company, even though we're not really kind of together. And we ended up arranging lots of kind of fun activities on Zoom just to encourage people, just make people kind of happy and engage with everyone else. 
Yeah, and it's, it's fascinating. I mean, we've had this conversation a couple of times, obviously, um, since we started up again, really. And it's how resilient we are. We all adapted. We adapted quickly. I think that um, tech itself was probably able to adapt even quicker because you guys sort of got it. And actually, you know, from a sales perspective, it might be a little bit harder, but actually it's become easier in one respect. You know, there was never a time when we were sort of doing sales that we didn't want to go and meet a client. And if you couldn't meet that client, then you'd have a phone call with them. Now we just have a Zoom or an MS Teams with them every single time. So, so it is interesting. What is, <clears throat> like you say, also quite important is is that sort of human interaction you know you mentioned there um first of all James you mentioned about you built this culture everyone got to know each other you know friendships are built and born and spawn and 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 move forward and then all of a sudden you don't have that anymore and like you say Jerry you know you're having to do things over zoom and socials and 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 stuff like that but it's it's good it's not quite the same as as having that sort of inbuilt culture where everyone's going out for a drink every single night you know um, everyone in, in my office ended up having freedom flu because they were out every single day and night after COVID that they were all catching colds. But um, yeah, it's, it's good to hear the same things though, that you were able to grow or able to adapt, were able to be resilient really of what gets thrown at us. Yeah, so. I, think that, I think the tech, you know, I think you're right. You know, the tech people were the first to, to adapt really because they were you know I was I already slacked the person on the desk in front of me so it was no big deal that he was now 30 miles away or whatever um so it was easy from that point of view but yeah the interpersonal stuff and I don't know how true it is that you know the, a, a majority or a percentage of tech folk are um introverts it doesn't mean they don't want any human interaction and I think we all suffer you know in lots of different ways and some more than others and I, you know, it's interesting to see how you as a business value that high bandwidth in-person experience and then trying to keep that alive and then, you know, reinvigorated with that summer party and getting everyone together. Uh, my question is, who was the outliers in the height game, the extra tall people that you never met before and the super short people? Because there, that's that's the fun game. Like, oh, yeah. my God, you're so... <laughs> but I guess, what's what's the future? Like, what do you... Is it hybrid working? You know, are you recruiting out of the region? At the moment, we're hybrid. So I think for myself, I'm I'm in work uh, at the moment twice a week, and um, I'm I'm gonna move to three times a week next month. So I've, I've just kind of really missed being in the office. But at the moment, we're re- renovating the building we are on at the moment, so we've got kind of a limit of number of people we can be in the office, but. Once the renovations are over, I'll probably be I'll come back uh, full time in the office. Yeah, and recruitment-wise, are you looking beyond your region? Because that's a that's like like a valve decision, as someone described it. Like once you've gone one way through that valve, it's not easy to go back. Like, hey, everyone's from Manchester plus one person from Devon. You know, how, what's what's your move there? What, what are you thinking? Already, I think we we have such a broad kind of a selection of people. So at the moment, we have people who live in. Wales, kind of Chester, Liverpool, Leeds, and Hull, actually. So at the moment, we already have uh, people who live outside Manchester. So we're quite open still, kind of uh, in the surrounding areas of Manchester. Okay, so you are you're taking the full hybrid route then for the long term. Yeah. Right. 
it's funny you should say about your your outliers. Um, one of our mobile team who they're based in uh, Liverpool, the two guys in in Liverpool. When we met them for the first time, uh, Sean, he's very very tall, and we nobody sort of expected it. It's very funny, but so yeah, I think that's you know they're they're an example where um, those guys were really really well together as a team and they don't need as much interaction with the rest of the business as, as perhaps some other teams do. So we've largely let the team sort of have the autonomy to decide, you know, what's right for you, what works. If, if it makes sense to come into the office, then come into the office. If it makes sense to work remotely, do that. So the way I've been thinking about this recently is if you've got one person that's remote, then you're a distributed team. And I think that's the real shift change that I think we're going to see in 2022 is the reality is whether you've got one person or, or 10 people, however many it is, you are a distributed team. You have to act like a distributed team. So that's the way I'm thinking of it. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. You're absolutely right. And the, the I suppose what, what would worry me is organizations who don't re- recognize that and sort of start to forget about, you know, that one person and then they are they are not getting the same experience. They're missing the water cooler chat or the beer after work or whatever, you know, whatever the events are uh, or whatever the little micro interactions are, they're missing out on those. And it's not to say you can't have those micro interactions. If you're in the office, like why would you not talk to the, the person who, you know, you work with about something, but you, you need to wait, find a way of bringing that back in, looping that the rest of the team back in something we're, we're guilty of anyway, but um, it's more prevalent or could be more prevalent if we're not careful. Yeah, and I think it's already happening, in in, in all honesty. I think it's happening very much so now. You know, I think even in our industry, which is predominantly office-based, you know, know, people would have, like, literally a meltdown, you know, if somebody wasn't working in the office, mainly me. Um, And now people ultimately are self-motivated if they like where they work and they are enjoying the environment so like you say we had an event somebody came along to it but if not we loop them into all of our meetings we make sure we stay connected in fact that person was the star of the show the day that we had a a, 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 like a barbecue party because no one had met him you know when he came to the event it was like it's dan wow god he really does look like the rock it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) um so it's definitely happening now i think the only thing that I do see what is happening in the market and is fairly challenging at the moment and something that we do need to consider with this is when people are working in different regions of the country, um, you tend to see, or we have certainly seen London uh, encroaching on candidates in the north of England. And we're seeing a shift in that happening as well, where London are going, hang on a minute, we're saving ourselves ridiculous sums of money because... We're not having people come into the office. We can get people working remotely. And they're now starting to tap into our talent in the north of England because they can work remotely, whereas before that was something that wasn't happening at all. So that is also quite interesting that we're getting challenged, not just from the fact that Manchester is a now very big tech hub. Lots of people, businesses are setting up here because of the talent, because of the city, et cetera, et cetera. But people are also trying to tap into that talent from elsewhere because of the fact, whilst we can do the same, because we can get people in, uh, I think you mentioned Hull in the middle of nowhere, I would class it as. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, it's something that we do need to be aware of as well. 
you know, because what I was going to say, like uh, during the pandemic, we noticed a lot of applications as well. People were applying from London, kind of thinking of moving to Manchester. And I think probably uh, lockdown has shown people uh, in, in London that, you know, the joy of living in London with all the theater and bars and restaurants. But when you're in lockdown, you live in a small room, kind of it's not the same as in Manchester where you have space where you can afford a lot more. So we've noticed a lot of people from, who have moved out of London towards Manchester. Yeah, I mean, it's. I know it's not the same as the reunification of Germany, but when the Germany reunified, <laughs> there was a big. There was obviously there's a big salary discrepancy between east and west, and that affected their economy for you know a decade. Now that was every kind of job and people moving, you know, across what was the former east-west border, um, and and so it takes a while for that to balance. Now I think we've we've seen a, a, you know a small slice of that in a very short space of time focus particularly around the more remote friendly jobs like tech and tech people doing it first because they're you know they're as we've mentioned earlier on they're the people who are familiar with working remotely and using tech and 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 all those kinds of things so i don't know how long it's going to go on for but i definitely think we've seen a lot of it in a short space of time and i think you know there will be that balancing thing where it goes well london salaries aren't going to be london salaries forever for tech people it's just like i'm why would i live in the city if i don't have to and then they'll find people will find their their sweet spot. Well, yeah, and the other interesting element to that is is the fact that obviously there were so many businesses that you know you guys are innovating in the property space, but how many businesses hadn't in, innovated in their space? And then all of a sudden, overnight, you close your eyes and nothing's happening because you haven't got an online presence. All the businesses that were massively successful during lockdown and COVID had an online presence. And, you know, that's predominantly how business was done, wasn't it? You know, you know, somebody sat at home, like your Amazons, your Boohoo's, your PLTs of this world absolutely smashed it because they already had the platform and stuff like that in place. So you add that into the mix and everybody in the whole of the UK or, or globally, arguably, saying, we really need to get our online presence where it needs to be. We need to make our tech stack where it needs to be. Well, then what happens is, is a massive demand and, and a glut and everything else gets pushed up along the way. So, um, but... Tell us a little bit more then about your backgrounds. Jerry, I was, I, was, I was having a little look at your LinkedIn profile and I was looking at some of the places you'd worked, some of the big places like your Skies and your UK Fasts. And, you know, how different is it working for a smaller, innovative, growing business than the monsters of, of what those companies are and, and how it works? So I think when I, I graduated, I joined a kind of uh, the graduate scheme at Sky, which I was in Leeds. So I lived in Leeds for about seven years and uh, I'm really kind of happy. And I think probably for seven years, I felt like I was in a corporate world for too long. So I wanted to change and I really wanted to work in agency world, really fancy the agency world kind of because a lot fast paced, but I really struggled to find jobs in agency world because they kept on saying, you know, you've got corporate environment or corporate background so you're not really going to fit into kind of the agency pace so but in the end I did manage to get a job and it was quite fun kind of working in, in an agency and I really enjoyed it but again after a few years I wanted to go back to not, not corporate but large organization but concentrating on one product so which is why I kind of so I went kind of full circle where I was a corporate I, I loved it I went to the agency I loved it but also wanted to kind of come back to a software house really so i can concentrate on only just one product 
Yeah, I think it's like a swing. It's like a pendulum, isn't it? You sort of you're you're drawn in one direction. I definitely want whatever the complete opposite is, and then you realize it's like, yeah, actually, there's something quite nice about sitting on the same product and and over multiple years and watching it mature. And James, what about you? Obviously, not necessarily from from a business, but what made you get into tech? Why do you love tech? Most techies that I speak to love tech, and they got into it from a really young age. Um, so don't let us down. Of... Don't let us down. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it, James? What what made you get into yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, that's it. You know, from a very young age, I was uh, <laughs> into tech. So it was a, it was a natural thing, you know. Um, I I think the big the biggest thing when I saw the web for the first time, I was like, this is going to be huge. This is, this is, I want to get into this. This is going to be life-changing for everybody. And I just couldn't wait to, to figure out how it worked and get, in, get into it really. So I would just toy around with it and try and figure out how things worked and, you know, mess around with different protocols and build like chatbots and stuff before chatbots were cool um you know just do all this kind of stuff and naturally you know naturally sort of progressed into um i think like most people you start with things like gaming groups and clans and stuff like that and involves into you know websites and talking to people how how do you do this how you know how do you change that and then i think the inevitable sort of myspace era and all that kind of jazz so it was just one of those where it was a natural thing. I think I ended up getting involved in open source, you know, building things for WordPress and things like that for my sins. So yeah, I've had a, a, a very sort of a, quite a range of different experiences, I think, around tech, both uh, I, I've done hardware, I've done software, I've, I've done web tech, um, but I really like sort of I always liked the idea of uh, software as a service uh, and that really attracted me when, when this role came up, I was like, that's what I want to do. What, what I've seen, not, not say unilaterally, but certainly quite a lot is people who've come with that inquisitive mindset um, into tech. That's what draws them into it. Like how, how does that work? And then the tinkering mindset, like how can I replicate it, stroke, break it, um, and then you know, and then and then you're in, like you're hooked. Then you've you've drunk the Kool Aid, and you're in forever, uh, and there's no out. But you know, I suppose Jerry, what was what was your what was your experience before? Like you talked about your first job, but where where you know, like where did it did it was there like that that light bulb moment for you, or was it a sort of slower burn? I'm originally from Tanzania, so I think I went to school there and uh, I had an opportunity to come to university in the UK. And initially I wanted to work in uh, aerospace. I wanted to do aerospace engineering. But I remember my dad saying, you know, there's no planes in Tanzania. What are you going to do with that technology? So I was like, oh, (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) So I really loved maths and I really loved that, but he was like, no, you can't do that. You need to do something that will help you for the future. So he was the one that actually made me do computer science, but it was my first choice. So I did computer science, so I am now, but I'm really enjoying it. And I'm glad actually he forced me to do it. Was, was there, like, again, was there a moment when you were, you know, like, was there like a resentful first year of computer yeah. science followed by like, you know, did you go through the seven stages of denial or, you know, acceptance and, and so on till you're like, yeah, actually this is all right. 
I love the way I love the way you guys talk about these things. It always makes me laugh when I'm talking to techies, and it's all about problem solving and and really wanting to fix things and how to do it. And it just takes me back to every single time my kids get a Kinder Egg. I'm just sat there. I'm going, how do, how does this go together again? <laughs> yeah, give it here. That's, that's, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm like. Hand it over. I'll, I'll sort this out. Yeah, I just normally look at my wife and she goes, God, Zach, can't you even do that? The kids have got a ton of Lego. My wife goes, right, they're all grown up now. Can we get rid of them? Like, no. It's like Lego is Lego. It's like the stuff is gold. I'm telling you, these kinder eggs, they are getting more complicated every single time you put your piece together. The things just getting wider and wider as you open it up. <laughs> um, so we're sort of coming to the end of our conversation. It's been really great. I've, we've thoroughly enjoyed it. But... Before we finish off, you know, and I don't, John, John's probably got a couple of questions as well, but before we do, why is Street Group a really cool place to work? What is it about? What, you know, we've talked about the tech, we've talked about how you operate. Is there anything else that you can sort of enlighten us on, 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 on why somebody should be like, right, I need to apply there? Uh, I would say for me, uh, I'm sure James will have a different, different answer, but, but for me, I love the fact that uh, there's no top-down structure, anything kind of, uh, I think is very open and transparent. One of the founders, self-taught uh, developer, and he gets involved in coding. So if you've got, if you need help in your team, he's more than happy to come in, kind of help out with coding. You, you can even kind of, you put in a pull request, you can criticize it with no kind of fear and say, oh my God, I cannot believe I'm telling the founder that this is this is not right you need to change this but yeah it's very kind of a open open place and we all really embrace change you, you are kind of allowed to make mistakes as long as we learn from them kind of take chances they really love kind of you to come up with ideas rather than someone telling what to do james yes thank you similarly um i think the two the two values that really stand out for me at this business is the openness, as, as Jerry's already mentioned, we're incredibly transparent and open about where we are as a business, uh, how well we're doing financially, because we're, we're a completely bootstrap business. There's no external investor. It's all reinvested, which is quite unique. We're, we're making money, whereas a lot of startups aren't. <laughs> so we, we're, we're in a really good place. And it's and that's really exciting, you know, that openness all the time. Anytime any uh, interest comes in or we might be partnering with, with a new company or we might be exploring different options, that is disclosed to us. There's no sort of hiding away. And the other, the other thing that I really liked was uh, something we call, th there's a value, it's called uh, uh, stock the fridge. And I really like this idea. And what it is, is when the business started, there was very few people in the business. And uh, someone was in the business and said, um, oh, the fridge is empty. Uh, would you mind stocking the fridge? And uh, this person that's no longer with the company said, it's not my job. And that didn't go down very well with, with our, our owners of the business. So the, the, the idea is, is that's the kind of culture that we want in the business is no job is, is, you know, too big or too small. We're all a team. We're all in it together and we all stock the fridge. So it's that kind of uh, mentality that, that I think makes this such a great place to work. Brilliant. It definitely makes it like sound like an interesting, exciting, open place to work. I do have a couple of questions. I was going to ask the same question. I'm going to ask you a slightly different question each because you both come to tech from 
a push versus a pull, if I may. <laughs> so Jerry, I'm going to start with you. I actually work with a few people who are interested in getting into tech now, kind of trying to coach and, and mentor those people. And it's been playing on my mind recently, like how do I know or how would they know that tech is right for them? They, they see it from an outsider perspective, like, uh, you know, I can see there's work there and it's well paid, but I've never done it. I've never sat down at a keyboard, you know, and they've already got a career somewhere else. Some people are, drawn, you know, massively drawn to and just just sack everything off and do a three month boot camp, but not everyone can afford that. So how how would you talk to them and say this might be right for you? What what would you what kind of questions would you ask them to find out if they thought they're into tech? I just think uh, kind of if you if you love solving problems, I think it's a great industry to be in. Kind of uh, like with good people, like I love fixing bugs. Kind of I really kind of get a kick out of seeing something's broken and kind of scratch my head, making sure why was it why is it not working? And kind of spend a couple of minutes or hours kind of trying to figure it out and come up with, yes, bingo, that's why it's not working. So I always feel like if you love solving problems and seeing things from planning all the way through to a working product that improves users' lives, I think that's a great industry to be in. Yeah, great answer. Thank you. And then James, a slightly different one for you is, again, with the, looking at the same group of people who are trying to get into tech, I think the hardest step apart from making the decision and, and putting the time in is getting that first job it's like nailing that down and employers don't necessarily want to take a chance in you you know it's a lot of investment for for the employer and it's hard to get your foot in the door so have you got any advice you would give to those people who are trying to make that first step in get foot in the door how to present themselves or, or what how to be best equipped yeah i i it's a really good question i think um for those looking to step in I really want to see the potential that is there. I really want to see what you can do, what you can achieve. Um, if you can, you know, sit down and build something and you can show and demonstrate your skills, brilliant, you know, show off. You, you've got to come into interviews wanting to sell yourself. So you've got to be able to sort of say, look, look at the great things I've done. We want people that have that passion for what they do. I think that's really important to, to really want to work in this industry and um, you, you've got to be able to to love it. I, I think where I started was I really wanted to get more into this, into the web tech, you know, web technologies and, and that kind of thing. I think a great place to start if you're really not sure where to go is have a look at open source projects, you know, see if you can contribute, see if you can fix any bugs, see if you can solve any problems. If you can't do that, see if you can help with documentation. I think it's a really, really undervalued place to start and if you can then show that to a potential employee that look at this open source project that i've contributed to they they would they should snap you up and that's the kind of thing uh, that uh, i would be looking for that's great and i yeah and I, I suppose one thing that always bothers me a little bit is that not everyone has the i guess the audacity or the, the strength of character to be able to project their confident self in an interview and so those some of those other things that you talked about saying I've contributed to open source like I've just put it on my CV I didn't even have to brag about it it's just there I've and I've contributed documentation or I've verified a bug or you know I've I've got up off my arse and done in something that I didn't have to do um, because I want to show you I can do it so yeah great answer brilliant thank you um 
I think we're done for today. Thank you very much, both of you coming on Northwestify podcast. Um, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, we now have a website, northwestify.co.uk. There is a contact form on there. So feel free to submit any suggestions for anyone who we could interview on the podcast. Also, we're going to start taking questions soon. Um, so we'll, we'll, Zach and I may be answering those. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.